0: Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: And
2: welcome to the show. I hope everyone is having a great day. We're looking forward to kicking off soon our work on bullying, and what a great way to start with the show today. We have as our guest today Ari Neiman, president and co-founder of the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, and Julia Bascom, the project organizer for the Loud Hands Project. So welcome to the show, both of you. You're both great advocates and civil rights leaders, and we're pleased to have you.
3: Thanks for having us on the show, Joyce. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Okay. Well, Ari and Julia, I'm going to start first with Ari. But can you tell us, Ari, how you first became involved in the autism community, and more importantly, what made you decide to become an advocate?
3: Oh, absolutely, Joyce. Well, in 2006, Scott Robertson and I fo- co-founded the Autistic Self Advocacy Network, and the Autistic Self Advocacy Network ASN for short is a national advocacy group that's somewhat unique in the autism community in that we're run entirely by and for autistic people ourselves rather than by parents or other family members or physicians or researchers Um, and what motivated us to do that was there was a tremendous amount and there still is a tremendous amount of discussion about the autism spectrum in, in american society But very little of that discussion really involves those of us who are autistic ourselves. Um, Even at the same time that people wouldn't think about having conversations about women's issues with just men or African-American or Hispanic issues with just Caucasians... um, you know, there is still not uh, as significant an understanding of the fact that when you talk about disability, um, and in particular autism, it's wrong to not involve the people who are the most affected at the table. Um, I personally was motivated to become an advocate, in part because of my experience in the special education system, where I spent time in segregated settings, and after advocating for my own inclusion, came to the um realization that uh my school experience and those of others with with disabilities would have been substantially different had people like us had a chance to be involved in policy making
2: wow well, you know what, I think that's really important about running it, you know, with people with autism, because I don't care if it's epilepsy, I don't care what it is, frequently when groups don't have people living with the disability, they make decisions that really people with disabilities would not make. So I understand uh, what you meant by that. And how about you, Julia, why did you decide to become an advocate?
4: Um, I decided to become an advocate because I wanted a better life and future for myself and my friends, essentially. Um, I think I knew about ASAN by the time I was 16. I mean, my timeline isn't perfect, but, I mean, I've been doing some, like, blogging and reading various Autism Hub blogs, um, so I'd heard of them, but I didn't get much out of the website until um, my friend, Silas, See, I was a senior, so I was 16, and we were in high school, and he went with some friends from our school to the National Games for the Winter Special Olympics in 2009. Um, He's not disabled, but he met Ari there, and Silas knew about my diagnosis, and we talked about neurodiversity and disability rights, so he told Ari a little bit about me, and when he came back, he gave me Ari's card, and he told me to email him some of my writing, and we connected, and now here we are. Well, that's good.
2: I'm glad. I'm glad you took that step. And listen, if you're for those of you listening to the show right now, remember, you have a voice. But if you sit back and wait, it isn't going to happen. You have to be like Ari and Julia and take a stand. You need to use your voice. Um, and Ari, before we go any further, as you mentioned, you're the president and co-founder of the Autistic Self Advocacy Network. And you already explained that this is... Uh, run by people with autism in case there's someone listening to the show that wants to know more about when it was founded uh, or the size or how to join could you talk a little bit more about that
3: Absolutely. Um, Well, we recently celebrated our five-year anniversary, and we have chapters in a variety of locations across the United States, which people can find out about by visiting our website at www.autisticadvocacy.org. And we do a lot of different kinds of work. You know, the thing that most people are most familiar with is our advocacy work, both in the sense of communicating with government agencies on priorities that matter around housing, education, employment, and, you know, other issues regarding rights protection and so on. Um, but also in the sense of uh, speaking up when there's offensive advertisements or um, entertainment representations of the autism spectrum. Uh, I point out the fact that um, the entertainment industry seems to have this thing called very special episode syndrome. and It's the only time they... Uh, portray a disabled character is on what they call very special episodes rather than as you know really part of the mainstream of the television show or the movie or what have you and that sends a really problematic message to society as a whole uh, so we really work to try and combat that but we're also engaged in other activities, for example, um, resource development. We launched a handbook on navigating college while autistic um, that's being disseminated across the country. This summer we're going to be holding a advocacy training um, for autistic college students uh, uh, who are going to be preparing to start local autistic-run groups on their campuses, um, and you know we're also working on employment issues as well. We have a collaboration with Freddie Mac, the housing finance company, on internships for recent college graduates on the autism spectrum. So our work is focused in advocacy, but there's also a broad-ranging program and research component, which we're very proud of.
2: You know, I have one question. Could you explain to our listeners, what do you mean when you were talking about the media, about the very special episodes?
3: Well, I think one of the things you very often see is, whereas there's uh, recognition, um, not everywhere, but uh... growing recognition that uh... if you're doing a television show or um a movie that you want to have diverse characters who are regular parts of the show Um so you know you don't just have african-american characters or you don't just have gay and lesbian characters when you're doing an episode about um the african-american experience in america or about the gay and lesbian experience but you also have them as you know really normal characters um, within the show we haven't seen that recognition in the context of disability and it's a problem uh, it's a problem because when disabled characters are included on television and in the media um, it tends to be again Within the context of these very special episodes, so rather than actually participating in whatever the topic of the show is, if it's about a high school, as students in the high school, or if it's about a uh, uh, workplace, as you know members of the workplace, you tend to have people who maybe come on for an episode or, sh- or two that's focused about their disability um, and don't get to stay and don't get considered part of the mainstream of life. And because so much of American culture is tied to uh, representations in media and the entertainment industry, uh, that has downstream effects that can be very harmful for people. So we're really trying to be vocal um, to reinforce the fact that people should be able to see themselves um, in uh, the entertainment that they consume and in the media that's available to the public, uh, not just through momentary, very special episodes, but... Uh, you know, on a consistent and a regular basis, as other minority groups are able to enjoy in our society.
2: Well, and that is so true. That, that is a very good example, because you're right when you talked about, you know, the difference between being a character on every show uh, versus just on special shows when they want to talk about a disability. That's really a good point. Um, and, and by the way, before we move on, to talk about other issues, I just wanted to mention that in April 2010, ARI was appointed by Secretary Sebelius of HHS to the Interagency Autism Coordinating Committee. Um, and, and what is that? What's the purpose of that committee?
3: Absolutely. Um, the Interagency Autism Coordinating Committee is an advisory committee that advises the HHS Secretary on issues regarding autism policy. Um, the majority of the work of the IACC is focused on research questions. One of my biggest priorities on the IACC has been to try and change the focus of autism research. Uh, you know, Joyce, we spend $314 million a year on autism research in the United States.
2: How much and was that?
3: $314 million wow. a year. And only 3%. Of that $314 million goes towards research on improving the quality of services, supports, and education for autistic people. The vast majority is focused on these questions around causation and prevention, which frankly don't relate to the the real world day to day priorities that we have for our lives. I I don't know very many people who wake up in the morning and ask, well, have they discovered a mouse model yet? I think people wake up and you know they want to see society's investments and in energy and attention go towards things like transition supports or employment or housing. Um, and research has a role in those things. But we need research that reinforces um, energy and investment as to how we can fulfill the goals of the ADA. Uh, the work I do on the IAC, as well as the work I do on the other committee I serve on, the National Council on Disability is oriented towards fulfilling those goals of the Americans with Disabilities Act.
2: Hmm. Boy, that's great! And you know, when you were talking about that, Ari, I remember being that I'm living with epilepsy. I remember when I first got involved years and years ago on the board, and it was mainly doctors, and uh, it was all about the cure. And I remember saying, "Well, oh, what about me? What about living? What about quality of life?" And, and of course, now today, it's, you know, divided. We still have great doctors. I mean, the chair is Brian Smith, and he's a great epileptologist, but he's also a civil rights leader. So I understand exactly what you're talking about. And we're going to talk about this more in a minute. But right now, we're going to go to break. If you just joined us, we're talking to Ari Neiman and Julia Bascom about the Autism Self-Advocacy Network and the Loud Hands Project. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away, we'll be right back.
5: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Catherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety.
6: Hi, I'm Greg Rumbert from the TV show Heroes.
5: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
2: And welcome back. Hey, we've got two great civil rights leaders in the disability community on our show today, and that would be Ari Neiman and Julia Bascom. And we are going to talk about many issues that relate for people living with autism. And right now we're going to turn it over to Julia. Uh, Julia, what I wanted to ask you and Ari, but I'd like to start with you, is in your opinion, what do you think are the biggest obstacles for people living with autism?
4: Um, Well, Joyce, I think most of the obstacles faced by um, autistic people, people living with autism, can be traced back just to the simple mathematical fact that we're a minority group. Um, The world isn't designed for us, and our numbers are such that we haven't traditionally wielded a lot of power to change that. So most of the systematic injustices experienced by the autistic community just boil down to that. I mean, we're put into segregated classrooms because we learn differently. Um, our different methods of communication are just interpreted by the majority as us not having a voice at all. Um, our different ways of processing the environment and navigating social s- situations get pathologized. Um, just rather than making reasonable accommodations or respecting different ways and speeds of being and communicating, we are you know, disenfranchised, neglected, underemployed, undereducated, abused, silenced. um, And and the thing is, this doesn't have to be the case. Um, This interview is actually a really great example of how simple this is to change. I was provided with a list of questions in advance, and I'm reading off a script. I've had several days to think about and type, and therefore my speech is working fine. Um, If I hadn't been given that simple, reasonable accommodation, um, I wouldn't be able to say anything at all right now. But because this tiny corner of the world is rearranged to fit both of our needs, we're able to have a mutually beneficial conversation make a connection, and move forward. Um, The fact that the rest of the world refuses to allow me to participate is more of a barrier than anything my brain could ever come up with in isolation, and I am isolated because I'm a minority. Um, Yeah, it's very simple. Um, Ari, what do you think?
3: I think that's very accurate, Julia. Um I think the only thing I would add to that, uh, and you know I think it really it supplements the point you're making in terms of how minority groups are are treated by society um, is it reinforces the need to be present in these conversations about us um you know Ed Roberts, the father of the independent living movement, and you know one of the, the titans of the history of the disability rights movement uh... he said that the greatest lesson of the civil rights movement is that when you let other people speak for you you lose mm-hmm. and i think that's very right i think that's very accurate Um and you know when we we do not raise our voices to to speak up uh... against those who talk about us without us um, you know we we seed ground that is very challenging, it comes back to haunt us later. We need to ensure that we are at the center of conversations about autism. You know last week, there was a tremendous controversy, um, and a lot of people very rightfully pointed out the problems with this. Um, when uh... one of the the committees in the House of Representatives <laughs> held a um, hearing on the topic of contraception and women's health. Uh, and the witnesses at the hearing consisted of um, five men. Not a single woman was invited to testify on the topic of women's health. And I think people very rightfully pointed out that that was absolutely wrong, that that was an outrage uh... we want to see a similar level of outrage uh... about the fact that for example um groups like autism speaks which is the largest and most well-funded autism group out there doesn't have a single autistic person on their board of directors we want to see a sig- similar level of outrage whenever there's a conversation about disability in any sector in which disabled people are not involved or are only involved in token ways uh So to me, you know, that lack of representation represents one of the biggest barriers that we face because it leads to those other barriers. Our views are not represented, and opportunities to address challenges um, and address various types of barriers do not emerge um, because we're not at the table.
2: Wow, that is, again, I can relate to so much of what you're saying. And so true, so true. Um, Well, I want to move on to what got this whole thing going, um, and that's when I found out about the Loud Hands Project. So, Julia, I'm going to start with you. How did this all
4: come to be? Um, Well, I think I'll tell our listeners about what the project is a little bit first, just so they have a frame of reference. Um, The Loud Hands Project is a transmedia publishing and creative effort by the autistic community, Um, and transmedia just means that we're not just doing books, we're not just doing videos, we can do several different forms of media and they're all integrated together as part of the same thing. Um, It's a way to consolidate and amplify our voices and the voices in the autistic community and support us as we communicate and tell our stories in our own ways, on our own terms, um, for our own sake. Um, The Loud Hands Project consists of multiple prongs organized around the theme of what the autistic community refers to as, quote-unquote, having loud hands, Um, and that covers things like autism acceptance, neurodiversity, autistic pride, community and culture, um, disability rights, resistance, and resilience. Um, We focus on cultivating resilience among autistic people in the autistic community and empowering the autistic community in building communities and cultures of ability, resistance, and worth. Um, You might be familiar with this quote from Laura Hershey, actually. Um, You weren't the one who made you ashamed, but you are the one who can make you proud, unquote. Mm -hmm. That's the idea we're using. Um, Let's see. The Loud Hands Project, I already said that. Um, Given the huge variety of ways in which autistic people speak, um, not just oral speech, but any way of making our thoughts known, Um, it seemed best to use multiple methods of media and offer multiple modes of communication. And and it provides us actually with a lot of unique and creative opportunities, which is great. Um, We are starting with an anthology, which we'll be using as a sort of founding and guiding document for the project in years to come. Um, The anthology, which we're taking submissions for right now and raising money for, is providing us with a solid community-generated philosophical foundation for all of our future Endeavors and media and individual projects that Loud Hands is undertaking or will pursue. Um, it's sort of designed to function as our overarching framework. Um, I don't know how long I've had the idea for the Loud Hands project in the back of my mind. I started formally planning it in August, but I didn't expect it to be able to launch for years and years and years. But um, in November, a piece I'd written went viral, and so Ari and I started talking about leveraging that momentum to help Loud Hands project. Um, and it worked, so we're here now.
3: And just, I'm uh, glad that you
2: are here. How about you, Ari? What do you want to say about it?
3: Well, the only thing I wanted to add there is, um, you know, the the name, the Loud Hands Project. It actually comes because it's the inverse of um, the the title of that blog post that, that Julia wrote, uh, which was called Quiet Hands. And um, Quiet Hands refers to you know the fact that very often uh... when we're in school um... autistic children are are told um... you know to to sit still and not do various things that are natural for autistic people to do um... you know many of us uh, rock back and forth or hand flap or engage in other stimming behavior which you know is is abnormal It's perceived as strange it doesn't hurt anybody, and is in fact quite helpful and valuable and useful as a means of expression and self-regulation for those of us on the spectrum. Um, but you know, people get told "quiet hands" as a way of saying, you know, don't do that, don't don't be the way you you uh, feel you're supposed to be, don't be you know, uh, don't behave in the way that's most natural for you. And a lot of people really feel like words like quiet hands and the charge to have quiet hands, it's, it's abusive on the part of society and on the part of educators. So, you know, the, the, Julia and, and others picked the words loud hands as a way of uh, reinforcing this idea that our voices were not going to be stifled and um, we are okay the way we are. And, and that is not a problem.
4: It's a very valuable piece of history. Thank you.
2: <laughs> and um, what do you do to stop this? Where people do this thing about quiet hands?
3: Well, I think our hope is that by getting the word out through projects like Loud Hands, we can help launch a conversation um, about the underlying prejudice, which uh, you know motivates um, really uh, efforts at trying to um make people normal um and put more energy into making people normal as opposed to making people happy and giving people a quality of opportunity uh... we're trying to challenge the assumption that different is automatically bad we're trying to challenge the assumption that anything that's associated with autism anything that's associated with disability needs to be corrected Um so you know in, in a very big way This is our our, uh, initial attempt to try and tackle that question.
4: I would would second that, and I would also add that um, one of the big things about um, the Loud Hands Project is we're trying to create a space where we don't even have to um, worry about that, where it doesn't matter how other people are going to perceive um, our hands, for example, because no one around us cares. Um, We're in our own community. We're okay the way we are. Um, so there's sort of two goals that work in a, in tandem together. There, one just yeah.
2: Well, I'll tell you what we are getting and have been getting questions sent to us on Twitter, and we always have, have this advertised on Facebook and email at vendorconsult.com. So a question here for you, Ari, from a Nathan in Tennessee is, Ari, I think it's fantastic how you are speaking up for us. I know that some people have viewed you as controversial. Why is that?
3: Well, I think there are a lot of different reasons why people um, view anything as controversial. I think some people say that if you're not sparking a little bit of controversy, you're not doing your job right as an advocate. Um, I know that some of the controversy that surrounded my work and ASAN's work is we've really been very explicit about saying that we don't agree uh with the prevailing direction of autism advocacy in the past. Um in the past autism advocacy has been something that's been really entirely by non-autistic people and we haven't been at the table. Uh but even beyond that, um, there's been this idea that the purpose of autism advocacy is a world without autistic people in it. Um and you know that's something that we're frankly we're a little bit uncomfortable with uh, as an ethical question. We held a symposium on ethical legal and social issues in autism research um this past December at Harvard Law School. And one of the topics we talked about was the concerns we had over things like prenatal testing um and the fact that the vast majority of research dollars in the autism world are focused on um things like causation and prevention rather than quality of life so uh... we've sparked some controversy mainly in the sense that we've tried to encourage the autism world to go in a different direction having said that Um, It's very interesting to me because um, whereas we may be viewed as controversial um, or even a little bit radical by the standards of the autism community, we're viewed as extremely mainstream in the larger disability rights community. I mean, look at the four goals of disability policy under the Americans with Disabilities Act, equality of opportunity, independent living, full participation, and economic self-sufficiency. That's what we want the goals of autism policy and autism advocacy to be. So uh insofar as we've sparked controversy, it's been in pursuit of trying to apply the principles of the disability rights movement to the autism community.
2: Right. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, it's easier to go with the system. But, you know, think of a lot of great civil rights leaders. They didn't go to the, with the system and they were, they were thought to be beyond controversial. But on looking back, we know how important it was to speak up. And with that, we're going to break. This is a great show with Ari Neiman and Joya Bascom. If you just joined us, tell your friends they can still hear the show because it's archived at voiceamerica.com and at benderconsult.com, as my shows have been for the past nine years. We're going to be right back after break to talk more about the Loud Hands Project and the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. We'll be right back with Ari and with Joya. Don't go away.
5: News, opinion. Opinion.
0: Your voice counts.
5: Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787.
0: VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares.
5: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
1: If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
2: And welcome back to the show. We are having such a good show with Ari Neiman and Joya Bascom talking about autism, obstacles to autism, the Loud Hands Project. So many interesting things, but hey, we like controversy, so we're gonna get it going all over again. Um, Joya. Yeah. And Ari, feel free to comment also. As you know. There are all these national campaigns and have been for years on person first. In other words, a person who is blind, a person who has epilepsy. And, of course, I've seen all of this disability etiquette in, in brochures where this is all printed out, person first, always identify person first. Um, and, of course, this is taught to the people without with disabilities, and they think they, too, should always be very careful of that. Now, I understand it's different with uh, your community, Joya. Is that true that you pr- prefer to be referred to as an autistic person?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, the autistic community does something very similar to the blind community and the deaf community where we we consider um, autism as an integral part of our identity, and so we use identity first language. So I'll say I'm an autistic woman, not a woman living with, with autism necessarily, um, I think person-first language is great, and I try to use it like with my friends who have intellectual disabilities, for example, because they've told me they prefer that. But I think the underlying idea of person-first language is having respect for the person you're talking to. So if the person you're talking to wants to use person-first language, you should do that But if you're talking to a disabled person who prefers identity-first language, then it would be most respectful to use whatever term their community has decided and they've decided they want to use. It seems very simple to me.
2: Yeah, and Ari, uh, thank you, Joel. Ari, I just want to mention one of the reasons that is given to say person with autism is that if the individual goes on a job interview that they should be hired because they have the skills not because they have autism so what do you think about that?
3: Well, I mean, you know, uh, Joyce, uh, I happen to be, in addition to uh, being an autistic person, I'm a person with Judaism and a person with American citizenship and a person with maleness and a person with uh, heterosexuality. And, you know, we have all manner of different traits that are parts of our identity. Um, But we generally don't use person-first language there. Um, And the reason for that is... um, we are we really you know the question of stigma is not present to the same degree and you know i think person first language and again for people who prefer and communities that prefer person first language we use it i definitely use person first language when talking with friends with intellectual disabilities or with other disabilities uh... when that person prefers person first language but for those of us who prefer identity-first language, you know, we tend to see um, holding a part of our identity uh, at arm's length from ourselves as validating that stigma rather than as fighting against it. Um, you know, from my standpoint, uh, when I go to a job interview, um, you know, I expect be judged on the basis of my skills, not on the basis of my diagnosis and my disability, Um, but I also expect to be judged on the basis of my skills, not on the basis of my religion or on the basis of my gender or on the basis of my citizenship or on the basis of other things that are part and parcel of who i am so you know i don't think we need person first language uh, as a prerequisite for for avoiding discrimination i think we can fight discrimination in its own right and you know we can do it directly just as other minority groups have managed to do
2: well that is a very interesting way to think about it because of poor of course if you go in a job interview uh, you're right, all these things would not be brought into it. Uh, and I'm sure there are, as, uh, Julian, you mentioned, people with preferences both ways, but, but that is still important to know that in the, uh, autism community, that you would rather be identity first versus person first. So that's, that's really good to hear and that's good for everyone that is listening to the show to understand because we must be respectful of all people in all cultures. Uh, and I do not believe we're a medical model. I believe we're a, a group that is a culture of people as with other cultures. So I certainly understand your point. Um, Ari and Julia, you've already told me how the Loud Hands Project came to be, but I do have a different question, and that is how are you funded? Like, you know, what should we do? If there's someone listening to the show right now that wants to fund you, can they do that? Can they send
4: in a check, or how does it work? Um, well, we're funded, um, we're raising money on a, a fundraising platform called Indiegogo.com, um, and they, um, they've, they you know, vetted us and made sure that everything's legit. Um, I can read you the URL if you'd like. Would you yeah, please, go ahead. Okay, um, our Indiegogo page is at www.indie, I-N-D-I-E, go-go, slash, the, dash, loud, dash, hands, dash, project, question mark A equals 351448. But if you, if you just put in, um, indiegogo.com, slash, the loud hands project, it should come up. Um, okay. That's good.
2: And and do you have a lot of support financially from external people, Ari?
4: How does that work? Julia, um,
3: do you so want, to, Julia, take do one, you want to take this first,
4: or yeah? Um, um, the great thing about this project is that it's actually kind of spoken for itself. Um, I mean, we've been using social media to spread the word, but a lot of the attention and excitement has been generated by word of mouth, um, and it's, and there's been a tremendous response more than we could ever have dreamed of. Um, We actually launched fundraising on December 26th, and 19 days later, we'd met our original fundraising goal of $10,000, and we've had over 170 discrete donors, it's just absolutely incredible. Um, It's been a hugely enthusiastic response from the autistic community and our allies. Um, Right now we're at about $11,500, we've already received submissions for the anthology, just the hunger and energy for this project is just really overwhelming.
3: And we're still fundraising. We'll be taking donations through March 15th. At this juncture, we're hoping to get to $15,000. And, you know, we've got some various uh, cool stuff planned, if we can make it that far, as well as a lot of cool stuff we're going to do regardless. Um, and you can donate at our Indiegogo page. Um, Julia read it out. I'll read it again, www.indiegogo.com slash the um, uh, hyphen loud hyphen hands hyphen project. There's also a project blog at theloudhandsproject.tumblr.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, so, you know, we hope folks will, uh, come check it out and consider donating or telling their friends, their family members, their co-workers, their classmates, uh, you know, really anybody, uh, friends, arch-nemesis, rivals, <laughs> Uh, random people you meet on the street, well, maybe not them, as you like.
2: <laughs> well, Ari, I have a question for you from uh, Cindy from Pennsylvania, and the question is, uh, with a comment first, thank you for all you're doing to help people living with autism. My question is, why do you think it is such a large spectrum? It seems like no one can correctly define a person with autism.
3: Well, you know, I think that that's a challenge that, frankly, um, a lot of minority group uh, groups face. You know, I just, I just got back from Israel this weekend. I was there uh, for a combination vacation and doing a little bit of work with the disability rights community there. And, um, you know, they've been arguing about who is a Jew for ages. Um, you know, so I do think the question of identity and definition is often a very challenging one autism is a very broad diagnosis that's true Um there are other diagnoses which are also very broad um cerebral palsy intellectual disability and so on Um one of the things that uh... you know often confuses people when talking about autism is that there are very particular cultural representations so people think well uh... all autistic people look like Rain Man or all autistic people look like this person I saw on television Mm -hmm. or even all autistic people look like, um, you know, my autistic relative or, um, you know, friend or what have you. So when they see somebody who is autistic but doesn't fit their preset assumptions as to what that means, it can be very confusing and sometimes people respond negatively. So we're trying to, to, to address that. Um, there's also a lot of confusion brought about by the fact that um, unlike disabilities uh, like blindness or deafness, um, autism occurs across um, multiple different domains. Um, so autism doesn't just impact social communication, although that's what folks are most familiar with. It also um, impacts other parts of our lives. So what it means be autistic, um, is relevant in different ways and impacts people in different ways and at different levels. So, you know, it, it's not occurring simply over one discrete dimension, and that confuses a lot of people.
2: Well, I'll tell you what is amazing to me, and that's how fast this show is going. But, yeah, we got to go to break before we come back to close the show with Ari Neiman and Julia Bascom. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We're coming back.
5: stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
1: if you have a question or comment call in toll free at 1-866- 472-5788 Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender.
2: Welcome back Oh, we've been having a great show but this show just shows you how interesting that is when it goes so quickly Um, and I'm sorry if I can't answer everyone's questions but I really want to make sure we get to cover everything with Ari and with Julia Um, My question is what can we, Julia, do to help you?
4: Uh, Well, I'm really glad you asked that. Um, I mean, we talked about that a little before the break. Um, Like Ari said, we're still fundraising and taking donations through March 15th. We'd really like to get $15,000. If you go to our Indiegogo page, you can see what we've got outlined for each step of what we're going to do. But mostly, honestly, the most helpful thing people can do right now is just spread the word. You know, Ari mentioned tell your friends, your families, Co-workers, your classmates, your arch anybody about us, um, and have them check us out. The more people who know about us, um, the more attention we'll get on the Indiegogo page, which then has leads to Indiegogo actually promoting our page in their own materials, which then leads to more awareness and more donations, which will enable us to do more faster. That's good. Um, yeah. Well, you
2: both know, I'm sure, that I'm the chair of the board of the American Association of People with Disabilities. And when I was asked what would two of the uh, issues be that I wanted to head up, of course, no surprise. One is employment, uh, but the other was to stop bullying uh, young people with disabilities, uh, and that's because I've done volunteer work for 12 years now with the Bender Leadership Academy, and I hear about this constantly. As a matter of fact, sadly, I've lost some people to bully side, you know, committing suicide because of incessant bullying. So I wanted to ask you, and Ari, I can start with you, um, bullying. How does this impact autistic young people?
3: Well, it's a very significant issue, and, um, you know, our community really struggles with it because, frankly, um, you know, it, Autistic youth, as well as autistic adults, were often disproportionately subject to bullying on the part of our peers and co-workers and classmates. Um, and it's really it's something we're trying to address, both by virtue of public education to address the stigma and prejudice and bigotry to motivate such bullying, um, and also by virtue of the fact that we're really trying to help build a strong sense of autistic identity, uh, this concept of, of, of resilience, which I think Julia is going to talk a little bit more about, um, whereby if people know who they are and they have a strong sense that, um, you know, who they are is okay and is not a problem um, and they're not some lone freak in the wilderness but they're part of a larger community that that really empowers people um, i mentioned earlier that i serve on the national council on disability which is doing a variety of work on bullying prevention Um we recently participated last year in the white house conference on bullying prevention Um and julia actually came and spoke to the council <laughs> Um, last year, and she read um, a, a article she had written, and I think the thing that just resonated with me the most um, was how she was talking about the most important thing we can communicate to autistic youth is that they are okay, is that we are okay just the way we are, and and that's a huge part of what Loud Hands uh, is endeavoring to do. Julia, do you want to elaborate on that?
4: Um I think I'm just going to say the Loud Hands Project um, was originally conceived of many, many, many months ago um, as an anti-bullying project as a result of that um, trip to D.C. actually. Um, and we've obviously evolved a great deal since then, and with it our focus has broadened, but anti-bullying has remained a really important area of focus for us. Um, I mean, you talked about autistic young people are extremely likely to bullied, likely to be bullied um, at exponentially higher rates than their non-autistic peers and we have very few resources or supports in place to help us with um, um, there's now, um, how do I say this if a gay kid at school is bullied um, there might be like a gay straight alliance or somewhere they can go where they have a community of people telling them that, that they're okay and they don't deserve what's happening to them and here's what they can do to help and so on and so forth and that just isn't in place for autistic kids and there's a real need to let um, autistic kids know they aren't alone and they don't deserve the abuse happening to them and help us stand up for ourselves and cultivate um, resilience and just the ability to survive some often extremely abusive situations. The whole community needs to get involved.
2: Right, and if you're listening to the show right now and you are uh, an autistic student, an autistic kid, an autistic adult, whatever it may be, but to all of those young people that I've worked with for over 12 years, including uh, autistic students, I want to say they have your back. Ari and Julia have your back. You, as, just as was stated, you aren't alone. You are not alone. Uh, and, and one example I would give you, uh, Ari and Julia, is that I have one student that had an issue with uh, ketchup, and when the students found this out, they threw it all over his coat. But fortunately, he was part of my vendor leadership academy, and uh, he ended up being a speaker. And you know, but I could give you other examples where horrible things—or you know, a young man with Asperger's syndrome—how he was beaten every day at lunchtime for years. Which I don't know how teachers would not see this. Uh, but I really think that anti-bullying is important. Uh, and I'm so glad you're doing something about it. So, Ari and Julia, you both look at all these great things you've done, but I'm going to ask you both this question, starting with you, Ari. What would you consider your greatest accomplishment?
3: well i think uh, to me uh, the thing that i'm most proud of having had a chance to be involved with is the creation of the autistic self advocacy network um, you know and i'm i'm incredibly proud of how asn has grown over the course of the last 5 years um and frankly my pride doesn't, you know, come so much because I think that this is, you know, just a function of my hard work. You know, I've I've done a lot of work here. I've worked very hard, but um frankly, I am proud because ASN's growth reflects the power of our community and it's reflect the fact that so many members of our community have seen this initiative and this organization and the various projects we've engaged in as worthy of, of time and energy and attention and investment Um so frankly my my what i consider to be my biggest accomplishment is to have had and to continue to have an opportunity to unlock the power that's present um, within my community um you know that that doesn't come from me that comes from uh, the autistic people across the country and and across the world um and i'm proud to be a part of that community i'm proud to be playing a small role in helping to empower that community and how about you how about you julia
4: um well i mean i'm i'm still young so, um, I'm very proud that the things I'm working on are coming to fruition, but I'd like to think this is the only beginning for me and for the autistic community at large um, that my and our greatest accomplishments are still ahead of us. Very still feasible. a ways to go, right? Yeah.
2: Yes, well, we all have a way to go, that's for sure. Uh, well, I always ask our guest what message they would like to leave. Uh, with everyone listening throughout the country. So, um, Julia, how about you first? You have a message for our listeners.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, I hope they remember the name, the Loud Hands Project, um, because they'll be hearing it a lot more in the future. Um, I hope people look us up online and see what we're doing and what we plan to do, and I hope that they find that we're something they'd like to support.
2: Amen to that. How about you, Ari?
3: Well, similarly, I hope folks, um, you know, Think about getting involved with ASAN, particularly if you're an autistic adult or youth. Our website is, again, www.autisticadvocacy.org. But most importantly, I hope you remember, um, you know, Ed Roberts' words. And I mentioned them earlier in the show. I'm going to mention them again the greatest lesson of the civil rights movement is that when you let other people speak for you, you lose. That is why self-advocacy is so important. And and remember, self-advocacy isn't just talking to legislators or appearing on a radio show. The most important kind of self-advocacy is the kind you do in your own life, in your own community. When you speak up on your own behalf and you refuse to let other people decide what your future and what your present is going to look like. So, you know, to all disabled youth, autistic and non-autistic, and, you know, to all people everywhere, I encourage you to take the steps necessary to be in charge of your own destiny. Um, The Nothing About Us Without Us slogan of the disability rights movement really resonates here, and I hope we can continue to work to advance it across our society. Yes,
2: that is... Excellent. You have been listening to Ari Neiman and Joya Bascom. And I hope you will follow up on the Loud Hands Project and on the ASAN Autistic Self Advocacy Network. And we end every show, every show with a quote from a civil rights leader or someone that has made a significant change in the world of disability. So our quote today is, you should involve autistic people instead of trying to make autistic people normal, said Ari Neiman. This has been a great show with Ari Neiman, and Julia, thank you both for being with us. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at Voice America